0: Hey, Mate, 40 here, and uh, interesting story. Guess who Huma Aberdeen is now dating? All right? She used to be married to that uh, congressman in New York who got into a bit of trouble.
1: Like the new power couple of Bradley Cooper and Huma Aberdeen. Trust me, we're surprised as you are that an A list movie star has ended up with Anthony Weiner's ex. But I'm starting to get a little concerned about Cooper. He's a Philly guy, just like me. First, he signed up to be Howard Stern's presidential running mate.
2: But don't talk so soon. This guy's gonna bring in the female vote like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) My vice president, Vice President Bradley Cooper.
1: Bradley, politics is a dirty, dirty game. You don't wanna be a part of that. And now he's hooking up with Hillary's bag woman? which knows about how dirty the game can be better than anybody. Plus, he's playing in Anthony Wiener's old playground. Who knows how many revealing photos or toys Carlos Danger left lying around the family home that Bradley might just stumble across. And what about Hillary? I'm sure she can't be too happy losing her best gal. Whatever happened to stand by your woman? Bradley, if you need to be rescued, blink twice. We'll get you out of there. Water's Window, another great book recommendation. We sell books on this show. John Grisham's Sparring Partners, I read it over the weekend, 48 hours, page turner. Now it's out now, so go to your local bookstore and buy it. And while you're there, pick up How I Saved the World. It's if it's in stock. Time for some text messages. No, no, Roberta
0: no, no, no time for your text messages. Remember, Waters, Let's cross over to and this is my world. Tucker Carlson. See what's really going on in the world. And I'll be right back.
3: Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Imagine you went to school with Sandy Cortez. A lot of people did. Imagine it's 2011. And you're both students at Boston University, a not quite prestigious but highly expensive school for kids who couldn't get into Tufts. You know who Sandy Cortez is because three days a week at 1220, you see her in your philosophy of gender and sexuality class. She's always there in the front row snapping her gum. And then like clockwork, she never misses your queer theory seminar, which meets every Thursday at 330 p.m. Because if there's one thing about queer theory scholars, they're not early risers. Sandy goes to both, and she talks a lot in both classes. She jumps into the conversation whenever she feels she has something important to say, which is frequently. She's hardly a genius, but she is highly self-assured. She's got strong opinions about racism and cosmetics. She seems to spend a lot of time updating her Facebook page. Those are the main things that you remember about Sandy Cortez. Now, fast forward 10 years. Suddenly, Sandy Cortez is a world-famous figure. Somehow. She's calling herself... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, some kind of female Che, Westchester County's first socialist revolutionary. And she's still yammering on about racism and eyeshadow, her twin obsessions. And she's still frantically updating her social media pages. Some things have not changed. But other things have changed. One night you're watching TV and you see Sandy Cortez talking authoritatively about America's energy grid. Like she knows a lot about it. And that stops you in your tracks. Wait a second. The energy grid, that's an adult thing, right? That's not queer theory, that's real. That's a very complicated piece of infrastructure. Even a lot of engineers don't really understand how the energy grid works. How could Sandy Cortez possibly know anything about that? She can't drive a standard transmission. She can't program a coffee maker. She doesn't even make her own bed in the morning. The energy grid? Please. It seems preposterous. So you grab a beer and you settle in to watch her talk about it. And your jaw hangs open as you do. Here's what you see.
4: We know that there is no such thing as cheap energy because the price of cheap energy has always been our lives the trampling of indigenous rights is a cause of climate change the the trampling of racial justice is a cause of climate change we're like the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change and your biggest issue is your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it and like this is the war this is our world war ii the fossil fuel industry and the future of humanity are fundamentally incompatible. They just are. I mean, that's not a political opinion. That is the science. We continue to burn fossil fuels. Our planet will become inhabitable.
3: (laughs) Really? Energy, huh? How's energy generated, do you know? What's a watt? What's amperage? Speak slowly. We've got time. But she doesn't. she The fossil fuel industry and the future of humanity are fundamentally incompatible. They just are. I mean, that's not a political opinion. That's the science. Of course it is. That's the science. Whatever I say is the science. There's no debate here. Obey. <laughs> but that's not how democracy works. Thank God. You actually have to convince people. And so she tried. She introduced the Green New Deal three years ago. And it didn't go far. In fact, it went nowhere. In fact, virtually nobody in Congress supported it. In fact, when it came time for a vote on the Green New Deal, even... Her co-sponsor, the other guy who wrote it, the super woke senator from Massachusetts, voted present, not in favor. Now, why is that? Why did nobody actually support it? Well, because if you think cow flatulence is even in the top 200 top issues for most Americans, you're Sandy Cortez. Go back to queer theory class. Get rid of fossil fuels? Yeah, what then? Well, starvation, poverty, societal collapse, Voters, it turns out, are not into any of those things. And so nothing that resembles the Green New Deal is going to pass the United States Congress in our lifetimes, provided this remains an actual democracy, which is to say, provided the public has anything to say about how they're governed. So that's a non-starter here. It's never going to happen by democratic means. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. It doesn't mean that ideologues can't impose the Green New Deal on weaker countries that are too poor to refuse it. And over the past several years, that's exactly what they've done. So the Green New Deal has actually taken effect around the world. So we don't have to guess about what would happen if it took effect here. We can know that's science. Let's start with Ghana. Ghana is a pretty little country, peaceful place, actually, on the west coast of Africa. Three years ago, Ghana was in great shape. It had one of the fastest growing economies in the world. In fact, it had so much energy over most of the last decade, it was exporting it to its neighbors in West Africa. Now those energy exports from Ghana peaked in 2014. Why that year? Well, because the next year, the World Bank published this headline on its website, quote, World Bank approves largest ever guarantees for Ghana's energy transformation. Ooh, when they promised to transform your energy, slow down. But Ghana didn't slow down. They just kept going. The World Bank promised to provide, and we're quoting, technical assistance for energy sector reforms and the drafting of a new renewable energy law. So in return for all this help, Ghana agreed to limit its carbon emissions, and then they entered the Paris Climate Agreement. Oh, how virtuous. What happened next? This is the part you don't read that much about. Last year, Ghana experienced a complete shutdown of its national power supply. Oh, no more electricity. <laughs> no emissions because we have no electricity. And blackouts have continued since then. Just yesterday, a news source in Ghana reported that, quote, residents in parts of the Ashanti region who have been hit with power cuts are without water as well because it turns out you need electricity to provide water, also to grow food. Now, this is not a small thing. The Ashanti region has millions of people living in it. They're all now living in the Stone Age. And it's such as the energy grid that's now compromised in Ghana. International observers say the country is now facing severe food shortages and hunger, starvation within a matter of months. Why is that? It's a fertile country, hardworking people. Well, now they're running out of fertilizer. Why? Well, because for years, Sandy Cortez's friends in the NGO community pushed Ghana toward less efficient, more expensive organic fertilizers. And the government of Ghana, because it's not a rich government, caved. Last year, according to Ghana's news service, Ghana's agricultural minister, quote, urged local farmers to adopt an organic agriculture system to reduce the impact of climate change. Oh, what happened then? Well, the good people of Ghana, while they feel good about their fight against climate change, are now starving. And in June... Last month, police in Ghana used water and tear gas to attack hundreds of demonstrators in Accra, which is the capital of Ghana. Now, it's not just Ghana. The same thing just happened in Sri Lanka. In 2016, the World Economic Forum published an article by a Columbia professor called Joseph Stiglitz, one of the dumbest people on planet Earth, urging Ghana to transition to, quote, high-productivity organic farming. Now, what does Stiglitz know about farming? Ever farmed? No. But he felt strongly that Sri Lanka should try a new kind of farming and, of course, sold it to Sri Lankans as a pathway to prosperity. In 2015, the World Economic Forum published an article on its website entitled, and we're quoting, This is how we will make Sri Lanka rich by 2025. You can search for that article, but it's gone now, along with the government of Sri Lanka. So they had an actual insurrection, not January 6th, not a guy in horns and a bearskin running around on mushrooms making weird noises. No, an actual insurrection they like come to your house and swim in your swimming pool, root through your sock drawer and make you leave. That's what they did to the people who run Sri Lanka, they being the public. The turning point came in 2021 when the president of Sri Lanka, acting on advice from the World Economic Forum, banned the use and importation of chemical fertilizers. Now, the problem was virtually every farm in Sri Lanka used those fertilizers to produce food, which it turns out people need every day in order to survive. As a result of that move, food prices in Sri Lanka nearly doubled. Millions more Sri Lankans now live in poverty, which is not a joke. And because the economy has collapsed, Sri Lanka now cannot afford fuel imports. So Sri Lankans are now waiting days for gasoline. Watch.
4: 36 year old Thuvan, an auto rickshaw driver, has spent two nights at this gas station in central Colombo. It's been an endless wait to refuel his three wheeler. Petrol pumps are all but dry across the city. <laughs>
5: At every petrol station we go to, they tell us they have run out of gas.
4: With no fuel, Thuvan has been out of work. He leaves his rickshaw in the care of friends and heads home to meet family where the situation is equally dire. There's been a crippling shortage of cooking gas across the island nation. Thuvan's wife, Fatima, has been cooking on a kerosene stove for the last three months.
5: I only have this one bottle of kerosene
6: left. It'll finish after I heat the food tonight.
3: What's so interesting is millions of people are now really suffering. The government just fell in Sri Lanka. Now, no one in Sri Lanka is white. They're all what our Democratic Party would call people of color. And yet the American intellectuals who pushed that disaster in Sri Lanka, who are responsible for the suffering there, have escaped all culpability. No one is saying a word about it. Meanwhile, a cop in Minneapolis was rough with a convicted felon two years ago, and we have to stop everything and send him to prison for life. But Joseph Stiglitz is totally fine. And it's not just happening, by the way, in the third world. It's happening even in rich countries. The Netherlands, for example, which is a very rich country, the second biggest food exporter in the world, tried to do, for reasons that are not clear but may have to do with Western guilt, the same thing that leaders in Sri Lanka tried to do. They just ordered farmers to cut virtually all of their nitrogen oxide emissions to, quote, save the environment. Now, doing that would shutter most farms in the Netherlands and destroy the country's food supply. And once again, that led to riots. So everything that's happened in Sri Lanka and Ghana and the Netherlands is happening at the behest not simply of ideologues, but of some of the largest financial institutions In the world, they want more of this. It's why Ghana has achieved a near-perfect ESG environmental impact score of 97.7. According to World Economic Research, Sri Lanka has an ESG score of 98.1. The Netherlands, 90.7. So the poorer you get, the more human suffering there is, the higher your ESG score. And that's important because companies will not invest unless you have a high ESG score. Interesting. So these countries have no choice. And that's why South Africa, for example, worked so hard to get an ESG score that now totals 91. Now, that effort began in 2015 when South Africa switched to renewables. Now, how did that work? Well, like everything in South Africa, no one in America really wants to know. It's their favorite country. It's a huge success. What's life like in South Africa for people of all colors? <laughs> Stop. Well, the Guardian of all places reported at the time, and we're quoting, solar, biomass, and wind energy systems are popping up all over the country and feeding the clean energy into the strained electrical grid. So their grid's been falling apart since 1994, but no problem, the green energy geniuses are going to save South Africa. How'd that work? Well, seven years later, the Washington Post reports that South Africa regularly experiences, quote, rolling blackouts that last Eight hours or more, crippling economic activity and disrupting life in this nation of 60 million people. And that's true. Ask anyone who lives there. It's falling apart. It doesn't work. Also true in France. France is committed to renewable energy. How's that working? Well, France currently has an ESG environmental score of 92.6. Why? Because 10 years ago, France pledged to derive a quarter of all of its energy from renewables. In 2018, these policies led to riots. Remember the so-called Yellow Jackets? People didn't like it. If you cared about democracy, you would listen to them, but no one in charge actually does, so they don't. And things have gotten worse since then. This past June, the heads of three French energy companies called on the public to, quote, immediately reduce consumption of fuel, oil, electricity, and gas amid shortages and soaring prices. Oh, stop civilization. It doesn't work. That same month, France's president publicly begged Joe Biden to start producing more oil because the Saudis cannot make enough to supply Europe. Watch.
7: One, I'm at the maximum, maximum. What he claims,
8: and this is my second told me, according to us, the Saudis can increase a little bit, but 150 or a little bit more. They they don't have huge capacities at this before six
4: months time.
3: So only the Europeans have been dumb enough to embrace this. Unlike Ghana, they could afford not to, but they are anyway out of some weird sense of collective guilt. So it's happening throughout Europe. In the U.K., ESG score of 92.7. The National Infrastructure Commission has warned that as many as six million households could face power cuts this summer. Sound like the first world? No, it doesn't. But that's England now. In Germany, ESG score 90.2, the government is now rationing hot water due to an ongoing gas crisis. Officials in Hamburg, Germany's second largest city, just warned that, quote, warm water could only be made available at certain times of the day in an emergency. Now, it was just a few years ago that Germany's government laughed at warnings from Donald Trump that this would happen. It's on video. Oh, they are so stupid, you have no idea. Green energy is the future. <laughs> Every place that's been tried has fallen apart. Every single one with no exceptions. Albania, Kenya, Argentina, Peru, Ecuador, Panama, Libya, so on. But it's not just a problem there. It's becoming a problem here. So in the United States, our ESG score on environmental issues currently stands at 58. But Joe Biden, who buys into every stupid trend, wants to change that. It's very important to get our ESG score up because we want to be more like Ghana. So at the very moment that Biden is sending our strategic petroleum reserve, which we own, he doesn't, to his son's business partners in China, he is vowing to end fossil fuels in this country and boost our ESG score. Watch.
9: Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking,
6: in a Biden administration?
10: No, it would be, we would we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated, and no more subsidies for either one of those, either any fossil fuel. No we- more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill. Period. But I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate
3: with it. Okay. So let's just be really clear. Fossil fuels aren't just not bad. Fossil fuels aren't just a net good. Fossil fuels are the only thing that stands between the United States becoming Ghana. Fossil fuels are the only thing that make the United States a rich country and not a poor country. We have the largest recoverable oil reserves in the world. If we can't tap those, we will be Ghana. We'll be poor. But Joe Biden doesn't care. And so he is clamping down on our ability to extract them. And like the leaders of every other country driven into the ground by green energy schemes thought up by morons like Sandy Cortez, he's taking no responsibility for the damage he has caused.
10: Look, we need more refining capacity. This idea that they don't have oil to drill and to bring up is simply not true. This piece of the Republicans talking about Biden shut down feels wrong. 9,000 of them. OK, so they, and then we ought to be able to work something out whereby they're able to increase refining capacity and still not give up
3: on transitioning to renewable energy. Problem is, he doesn't know anything about refining or extracting or how the grid works or anything about anything because he's never had a real job because he worked for the federal government since he was in his 20s. None of these people have any experience doing anything. Again, most of them can't drive a manual transmission. So to get a lecture on the power grid or energy from people who have no idea what it is is a bit much. And the topic is too important to continue to listen to their nonsense as we become poorer. And by the way, as the rifts just beneath the surface in American society are exacerbated by that poverty... As GDP drops, societal tension rises. It's dangerous. Back off. And it's accelerating. In the past year, the United States has experienced blackouts in some of our biggest states. Why? Because they're relying more and more on renewables. Places like California and even Texas. Just yesterday, in order to avoid a blackout, the largest grid operator in the state of Texas begged residents to turn up their thermostats, no more AC for you, and asked them not to use any major appliances, really in Texas which has the largest oil and gas reserves in the continental United States. What are they doing in Texas? But across the country, this is true. Orlando, Florida recently experimented with fertilizer bans to, quote, curb pollution. So the World Economic Forum wants a lot more of this. They just released a position paper calling for countries to, quote, agree to end the underpricing of fossil fuels, which is the principal factor preventing a clean energy transition. In other words, it's too cheap. It works too well. Gas needs to be higher so you won't be able to use it, so you'll have to be poor. And they're saying this as we're watching countries around the world, we could give you more detail, you see the point, are collapsing and entering into a state of revolution because these morons tampered with their energy grids. But they don't care, they're gonna continue doing it unless someone stops them until exactly the same thing happens here. That's true. Mark Morano knows it's true. He's the author of The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. He joins us now. So, Mark, you've been working on this for years. You've written a lot about it. But now watching the public enter the homes of the people who run Sri Lanka and swim in their pools, you'd think the World Economic Forum and Biden would say, wait a second, we don't want revolution. We've got to pull back a little bit. But they're not. They're not learning anything. Why? The world They're not learning anything because this is such a
7: deep-set ideology. Uh, if you go back uh, about 2007, the U.N. came out with a report, an agricultural report, warning that farmland was creating more you know, dangerous heat-trapping gases in the entire transportation sector. They've been at a war on agriculture for decades, and their goal is to literally get us to eat insects, and uh, this lab-grown fake meat. And one of the ways they're achieving that is by collapsing the current farming. Netherlands is a model success of farming, but because of the net zero goals of Europe and its country, they're going to now have to start shutting down. And these are family-run generational farms. They're going to be replaced. Either they're going to be used for some other purpose or they're going to be replaced with equity asset firms, people like Bill Gates or even China buying up this land, and they will play the game of the net zero emissions and that's what's happening around the world. I call it the sort of the defund the police moment, movement, movement, uh, moment. Where in less than two years, defund the police, people could see the results, see the collapse of cities and crime. We had Joe Biden saying it's time to fund the police. Less than two years after the movement began, Kamala Harris applause, Nancy Pelosi applause. I think green energy and this whole war on the agriculture is now the voters cannot support this anymore. We're seeing what's happening in Sri Lanka. We're seeing what's happening in the Netherlands. There's protests uh, in other countries growing. Canada's following the same line with fertilizer. This is a war against modern civilization. Make no mistake about it, Tucker. And it's a war against
3: people. Life expectancy will drop to the floor if we tamper with fossil fuels. They They are our greatest blessing. But I just got to ask, like, if I started lecturing anybody on heart surgery, here's how you do a stent. They would say, you don't know anything about it. You've never performed a heart surgery. How do we allow people like Cortez and Biden, who don't know what a carburetor is, to lecture us about something as complex as energy policy? Like, this is insane.
7: Well, it's because people like the World Economic Forum, this is their stated goal. John Kerry can go to the CEOs of of major corporations and get them to sign a climate pledge, which then commits them to all these green goals. So this is all happening behind the scenes. That's why they love places like Davos. There's no lobbying rules. Corporations can meet with politicians behind the scenes. And this is what they do. It's about how they can make money. They believe that that us, the unwashed masses, if left to our own devices, will create inequity, racism, uh, environmental destruction, a climate crisis. So they literally want to regulate not just our farming, but every aspect of our lives. And that's really what the World Economic Forum and the United Nations is after here, is, is controlling humans.
3: Man, they're playing with fire. I mean, they will get actual revolutions if they mess with energy. That is true. Mark Marano, I appreciate you coming on. It is. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tucker. I appreciate it. So if Sandy Cortez can be an expert on the energy grid, then Jill Biden can be a doctor. Dr. Jill! Problem is, like Sandy Cortez, Jill Biden sometimes goes outside and talks in public. Now, her adopted son described her as a vindictive moron. Is that true? Well, we did an investigation on that. Jill Biden, vindictive moron, question mark, and the results we'll have for you next.
0: Okay, we'll keep an eye on Tucker Carlson when he comes back out of the break. But uh, do you remember the LA riots or do you remember the summer of George when we had massive riots massive increase in murder and crime just uh, wrecking our communities wrecking our country do you remember how we were instructed that we need to understand the rage so when politically protected groups act out and behave badly and start murdering raping and torturing people we're instructed by our social betters to understand their rage we need to understand the rage of black people and brown people and the LGBTQ community. But when it comes to January 6, I don't know about you, but I don't recall any invocations to try to understand the rage of conservatives. And I think January 6th riots on Capitol Hill were misguided. I think conservative claims about the 2020 American presidential election being rigged or or fixed, I I think those are false. But I think what they're getting at is underneath those claims, conservatives have a, a strong case for, you could call it, cultural oppression or just simply living under the liberal jackboot. And the things that we can talk about, all right, We're increasingly restrained from talking about the things that are naturally most of interest to us. And we're supposed to accept that it is wholly natural and it is objective. And it is the only good and right and proper thing to do to allow an ethnic lobby like the Anti-Defamation League to decide what we get to say on social media, right? Nothing like an ethnic lobby getting to decide what we talk about on YouTube and on Twitter, right? So... We're increasingly constrained by this rising class that essentially accepts no dissent, right? So the, the liberal world order is now constraining dissenting views, whether it's on politics, social attitudes, or science, right? And the liberal world order primarily demonstrates its power in the creative elite from the media and entertainment industries, from the academic community, and from high-level government bureaucracy, So they operate very differently than the rival power brokers, the people who rule in finance, technology, or energy. So we're talking here about the power of the knowledge elite, and it does not stem primarily from money, but in social standing, they occupy the high grounds of culture, and they get to dominate, to persuade, to instruct, and to regulate the rest of society, right? And they increasingly promote a single parochial liberal ideology, and when necessary, they have the power to marginalize us, to excommunicate us, and to drive us from the public square. I think that's what underlies this conservative rage. I don't
11: know what's happening to us as Americans, but there's some things that are happening that are wrong. And not who we are as Americans. Now, you take the southern border, and what's happening at the southern border? Well, that is not who we are as Americans. You know, you may not know this, but there at the Southern World right now, today, there are children as young as two or three years old that are being separated from the people that bought them from the parents. You also- <laughs> or the cartel or whatever. And, and the kid gets through, and then the cartel guy can't get through. And a deal's a deal. LAUGHTER that's not who we are as Americans. <laughs> Ripped from the arms. I don't. Th- I, I don't think they do that every time. By the way, you know, what journalists used to just say, ah, and then they take the, and now it's like, ah, I rip. <laughs> <clears throat> Is that a baby in your arm? Well, rip, rip that baby out, and then we'll throw it over there. Actually, when any retard believes happens, that's <laughs> uh, another thing I'm not supposed
0: to say. <laughs> I- okay, that's a late great Noah McDonald. So, speaking of organic, all right, if you love that which is organic, you are directly at war with that which is going to minimize the chances of global warming, because organic farming requires far more resources, far more fertilizers, which come from fossil fuels, and the output from organic farming is far less than conventional farming. So if you're very concerned about global warming, you definitely cannot eat organic or encourage organic, right? These two things are completely at odds with each other. So let's get back to Tucker here. So
3: Hunter Biden's text messages and emails and videos are all out there on the Internet for the world to see. And that is a pretty major invasion of privacy. We will concede that. How would you like your text messages to get out there in public? On the other hand, they probably wouldn't be quite as interesting as Hunter Biden's. And on balance, we're glad to see them because we're learning a lot about the Biden family's business arrangements with China. And they are extensive. But we're also learning about what the Biden family is like. And boy, are they repulsive. We learned, among other things, what Hunter Biden thinks of the family matriarch, and that would, of course, be America's doctor, Dr. Jill. Now, The son is reporting that in a one text message, Hunter Biden once described his stepmother, that would be the first lady of the United States, as we're quoting now a vindictive moron. He also called her the bad word, which we can't use on TV, but it's the bad one, the one you can't use even at home. He used that word. But what about vindictive moron? Is that true? Well, we did a little research, and it turns out, yeah, it's true. She's a vindictive moron. Now, we know she's a moron because we read her doctoral thesis. And that proves, among other things, that she can't do simple math. And if you don't believe that, here's one extra, and we're quoting. Three-quarters of the class will be Caucasian. One-quarter of the class will be African-American. One seat will hold a Latino. And the remaining seats will be filled with students of Asian descent or non-resident aliens. (laughs) How many percentage points is that? Now, later on in the thesis, the doctoral thesis, why she's Dr. Jill, She miscalculates private and public sector school enrollment by more than, let's see, 200 percentage points. Now, you might be tempted to dismiss all of that. Maybe she wrote her thesis in 10 minutes on the subway, knowing that no one at the University of Delaware would dare correct it. And of course, they didn't. And that would explain the hundreds of typos in her thesis. But you don't need to believe her thesis to know that Dr. Jill is, in fact, in the words of Hunter Biden himself, her son, a moron, because we have videos of her speaking. Here was Dr. Jill yesterday at something called the Latinx Inclusion Luncheon in San Antonio, Texas.
6: Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community as distinct as the Bogues of the Bronx, as beautiful as the Blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the Breakfast Tacos here in San Antonio...
3: Yes, I'm not patronizing you, Latinx people, but you're all tacos. Just all tacos. That's what the First Lady said. Now, the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, which presumably supports the Biden administration, decided they had to explain some things very slowly to Dr. Jill. Among others, they said this, quote, Using breakfast tacos to try and demonstrate the uniqueness of Latinos demonstrates a lack of cultural knowledge. We are not tacos. (laughs) <laughs> we are not tacos. Okay. So uh, Jill Biden realized, whoa, maybe we shouldn't call them tacos. So her press secretary, or publicist, put out a statement doing a little damage control. Quote, the first lady apologizes that her words conveyed anything but pure admiration and love for the Latino community. Wait a second, Jill Biden, Dr. Jill. The Latino community? What happened to the Latinks community? Was that the whole point of the luncheon to tell Latinos that actually they're Latinks? DEGENDER YOUR LANGUAGE, SEXIST LATINOS. Well, the truth is, for a long time, connecting with the Lactinx community has trained every ounce of intellect that Jill Biden has to offer, which is limited, as we noted. Here was Jill Biden a year ago speaking to union workers in California. This is one of the greatest moments ever caught on camera, so pause, turn the volume up on your set and enjoy.
6: Anything is possible. So say it with me. (laughs)
3: Si, se Padres, Padres, or something. Cesar Chavez used to say, si, se Padres. He couldn't speak Spanish either. Don't you worry. So Dr. Jill's a moron. Hunter Biden was absolutely right. But was she vindictive too? That's the outstanding question. Hunter called her a vindictive moron. Moron, yes, vindictive. Jury's still out. Well, now we know. A few days ago, Jill Biden wrote on Twitter that women, quote, have the right to make our own decisions about our bodies. Of course, not with the vax, but with abortion. So reading this, retired Lieutenant General Gary Valesky, a former Army spokesman who mentored soldiers, responded this way, quote, glad to see you finally know what a woman is. Well, guess what happened to General Valesky? He got suspended. Now he's being investigated by the U.S. Army, which has no problem with China, but they're very concerned that someone might criticize Dr. Jill. So Hunter Biden was right, and we're just going to say it out loud. Hunter Biden was right about Dr. Jill. Vindictive moron. So Black Rifle Coffee was founded not simply to make the best coffee in the country, which it probably does, but to, we're quoting, serve coffee and culture to people who love America. And they actually did that. We didn't know what to think of Black Rifle Coffee. Then we spent a full day with its founder, and we were impressed. We'll bring you the conversation next.
0: Okay, so in Peter Zion's new book, talking about the end of the world as, as we know it, he he writes about love organic products, think they can help solve global warming. You must suck at math, right? The inputs are much higher, much more expensive, specialized seeds, higher volumes of water, all sorts of non-chemical pesticides and herbicides, all right, which are far more expensive, far bulkier to transport, hence far more use of fossil fuels, right? far more expensive to store, far more expensive to apply, hence more use of fossil fuels, right? Far lower effectiveness of organic inputs means you have to at least quadruple the passes over fields that synthetics require. So that requires more labor and more fossil fuel, right? All that extra activity on a field encourages higher soil erosion, more water contamination than traditional farming, Right, And that, in turn, demands more inputs and more fossil fuels. So the leading organic fertilizer for what you use in orchards is chicken parts not suitable for human consumption. Right? So the gooey, pungent logistics chain for shredded chicken guts all right, requires more fossil fuels, requires a refrigeration chain to prevent the utterly, utterly decadent levels of nastiness, drastically increasing organic's carbon footprint. And at the back end, the results of organic farming are far lower yields per acre, meaning even more land with even more low effectiveness imports required to generate the same volume of food as more conventional practices. All right. So you can have organic foods or you can have environmentally foods. You cannot have both. So if you're all about that, which is organic, then you obviously don't give a toss about global warming or you're a moron.
10: can
12: We have done this multiple times in the countries. What's going on with immigration? This is Zion. The question is how far in the future. The United States, both on the left and the right, is feeling relatively anti-immigrant right now. And Mm -hmm. everybody understands the Republicans and the Trump side of that. But on the Democratic side, remember, the the Biden administration is attempting to re-solidify the union movement within American industry, within the Democratic Party. And he's only having occasional success so don't expect to see any strong federally sponsored pro-immigration policies for the next few years it's going to take corporate america making its case in each individual city and those cities and states then going to the federal government for an ask that's Hmm. not going to happen this year probably not next year either Hmm.
0: so he doesn't see a lot of uh a lot more immigration pouring into America, particularly as birth rates have plummeted in Mexico and are starting to decrease in Central America. All right here's my favorite scholar these days, Leah Greenfield. Or
4: ethnic or racial character regulating one's actions in the environment accordingly. For instance, in the United States, the color of one's skin is a symbol of race And as such, a determinant of very specific and important reactions which would astound people in Brazil, France, or Israel, where skin color has no meaning whatsoever.
0: Yeah, did you know that? France, Israel, Brazil. Skin color has no meaning whatsoever. It just happens to correlate with all sorts of life results in the similar fashion that skin color correlates with life results in the United States and all around the world. So guess what? Certain groups tend to be more educated than other groups. Certain groups tend to make more money than other groups, right? Certain groups tend to be more gifted in different parts of life, either athletically or musically or with physics or higher math. So... America's racial problems are not unique to America. They go on everywhere in the world. Now, the United States of America is the only first world country that for the past 300 years has had a minimum of 10% to 20% of its population being black. So Americans have honed you know, more ingrained racial reactions than, than people elsewhere in, in the first world. But skin color means a great deal in Brazil and in France and in Israel, everywhere in the world because it tends to go along with certain predictable group reactions, right? You think that uh, in Brazil or in Israel or in France, that the black people are just thriving, that they have, say, longer life expectancies than white people, they have more education, they they make more money, that they have lower crime rates, less use of uh, welfare? No, the same... Patterns that uh, go on in the United States go on elsewhere. Rifle
3: Coffee, in case you haven't noticed,
0: pledged to hire 10,000
3: refugees from all over the world so you wouldn't think about how burnt their coffee is. Now, in response to that, Around a little-known company called Black Rifle Coffee made its own pledge. They vowed to hire 10,000 veterans. Now, the man behind that decision is called Evan Haffer. He's a former Green Beret who founded Black Rifle Coffee. He's now its CEO. Now, we've heard a lot about him, didn't quite know what to think of him at all. So we spent a day with him, ate with him, shot with him, And then interviewed him for Tucker Carlson today. And we were definitely impressed. Here's Evan Hafer explaining how he and why he started his company.
13: So I started roasting coffee to take with me. I was in Kirkuk, Iraq, which was um, a a relatively small city up in northern Iraq. Uh, There's... The, just outside of Sulaimania and Erbil I was in Kirkuk, and I was spending. I, I'd spent about a year and a half up there, going back and back and forth into Kirkuk and to Kret. My problem was, and I had you know this problem, which is I couldn't get fresh coffee. And what I wanted was to figure out how I could get fresh coffee into Kirkuk. Uh, I did a little bit of research, and in, in my you know, uh, I guess my. My economics that I was crunching at the time was like, well, if I buy a one pound roaster, I can go home and then I'll start roasting coffee to take back with me to Kirkuk or wherever I was going. So I'd go home, I would buy this roaster and I start roasting coffee one pound at a time uh, throughout that year. And I'd roast like 30 or 40 pounds and I'd take it back out to Iraq with me. I'd load up one kit bag full of my gear and like one, one kit bag full of coffee. And does like, anyone call you names for doing this? Because that's
3: a little eccentric. I mean, I'm forced, oh, it's super.
13: But. Yeah, it, it, it's like super eccentric. <laughs> and yes, you know, it was like most of which I can't repeat. <laughs> but yeah, the 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 guys, you know, there was a constant amount of ribbing until they drank the coffee, and then it was like, "Where's Evan going?" Because I want to go out there uh, because I know he's going to have great coffee, right? So then you'd have. Guys that were deploying specifically to different cities, knowing like, I know Evan's going to be in
3: Basra. I'm going to go to Basra because he's going to have great coffee down there. So if you run a coffee company, you should be completely dementedly obsessed with coffee. And he is great coffee. Great guy. That's all the whole interview. Tucker Carlson today, tomorrow, 7 a.m. on Fox Nation. So in March of last year, Joe Biden ordered all 600 federal agencies to, quote, expand citizens opportunities to register to vote and obtain information about and participate in the electoral process. Agencies had 200 days to file their plans, and they have done so, but the Biden administration is keeping those plans secret. They've refused to respond to congressional inquiries on the topic. Now, why is that? No good reason. Molly Hemingway, almost alone, has been looking into this. She's the editor-in-chief of The Federalist, also author of the book, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections, which they have. She joins us tonight. Molly, you wrote a great piece on this, which I hope that our audience will read. But summarize for us, if you would, what this is about. What's going on?
6: Yeah, so just as you said, President Biden issued an executive order telling all 600 federal agencies to submit plans about how they could engage in a federal takeover of elections. You might remember that when Democrats took control of the Senate and the White House, they had... uh, Their signature legislation was a federal takeover of of election administration. Now, they failed to do that. This appears to be something of a backup plan where they can get involved in all sorts of election-related activities using the bureaucracy. And there are so many problems with this. I mean, first and foremost, it's unconstitutional. The Constitution is very clear that it is given to state legislatures to handle election administration in their states. It's also really unethical. I mean, you noted that people are desperately trying to find out exactly what these plans are and they're not being given details, but details are starting to come out. And it appears that at that point where government benefits meet with the people, they are taking advantage of that opportunity, you know, whether it's a homeless shelter or whether it's food distribution programs or health programs, as a way to do this federal overtaking of election administration. Um, and it also is a recipe for chaos and confusion. Um, it, you know, each state has different laws and the idea that federal bureaucrats who don't even necessarily do a great job with what they're supposed to be doing could manage all those intricacies is, you know, it's delusional and it's just a very disruptive thing to our system at a time when the entire country needs to have confidence and belief that the elections are secure.
3: Yeah. So they did the same of equity. They screamed racism loud. Elderly white people screamed about racism until they were allowed to control our elections. And Republicans gave Same story every time. And I appreciate you're covering this almost alone. Molly Hemingway. I do, I, I
6: do want to say really quickly, there are people who are working very hard to get this information. They have filed lawsuits. Freedom of Information goodness. Act resets. Russ Vogue of the Center for Renewing America has put in like nine lawsuits. So hopefully something will happen from those.
3: You've got to hope so. It's important. Molly Hemingway of the Federalist. Thank Thanks a lot. So, a new video shows exactly what law enforcement in Uvalde, Texas, was doing as a gunman murdered children in a nearby classroom. We almost don't want to show this to you because it's so awful, but you should know. So, we will next.
0: A January 6th committee, all right, and they are uncovering the, the great conspiracy behind what happened that day. All right. So Steve Saylor writes, it's not a conspiracy theory when we make it up. It's the January 6th conspiracy theory. So here we are 18 months after January 6th. We've got all these rioters still being sweated in jail, many of them solitary confinement. We're still being promised that real soon now, the secret conspiracy will finally be cracked and all shall be revealed. Now, What's the more likely explanation, right? January 6th was exactly what it looked like, much less of a conspiracy than a de- disorganized fiasco without much of a plan. So, all through 2020, while the left was rioting over and over and over again, right, the right behaved well, right? The left has primarily done political riots in, in this country for at least 60 years, right? How often have you seen uh, right wing riots become criminal, right? Almost never. But, This time around, Donald Trump pressed his luck one time too many, you know, hoping that his power of positive thinking would somehow come through for him again. And some of his supporters went a little overexcited. So we're supposed to believe it's all going to be revealed just a few more weeks and House will introduce a resolution to declare Trump and whoever else they can tie to January 6th as insurrectionists. So I always thought insurrection is a pretty big overstatement. It was it was a riot. It was uncouth. It was a bad idea. I want people prosecuted who, who broke the law, just as I want Antifa and left wing rioters prosecuted for similar infractions. Right, but there's a concerted push here by the establishment to try to bar Donald Trump and his cohorts from eligibility to hold office under the Fourteenth Amendment. Right, and they're going to try to get Senators Sinema and Manchin to show their party loyalty to get this passed through the senate they hope to get principled conservatives like mitt romney and ben sass to vote for it right and doesn't even need to pass the senate some states can and will just decide for themselves preferably after the primary now it probably won't work out but by the time the court sorted out and donald trump has been removed from the ballot in several swing states the 2024 election will likely be over and the question will be moot so this is the reason they've been using misusing this very specific term, insurrection, to describe a small disorganized riot that lasted all of three hours. So some good stuff there from Steve Saylor. So I'm reading a terrific book on conservophobia. All right. And so really what's underlying the conservative anger? And that is that underneath this facade we have of of democracy and uh, free inquiry, we've got the liberal elites have quietly colonized all of our most powerful social institutions. They've taken over the judiciary, academia, public schools, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, the the news media, entertainment industry. And uh, they don't marginalize excommunicate like the, the Catholic Church did, but the cumulative social prestige that they have seized is the functional equivalent of such a an orthodoxy. So that gives the liberal elites and their pronouncements, a special power to essentially cut off debate and silence dissent. And so I think this is what underlies conservative rage. So this new secular liberal priesthood will badger, it will scold, and it will bully all who defy it. And this primarily means conservatives or people on the right. And if they strike the liberals as being angry or obstreperous, this is a natural reaction to this new regime and to, to provocations whose existence the really elite simply refuse to acknowledge, right? They they view themselves as the embodiment of goodness and of objectivity. So liberalism has moved from being a political orientation, it's become a kind of a totalitarian worldview, and it has crept into the American psyche itself, right? And you can see in the seeming trifles of social life and pop culture, the absolute suffocation of people on the right from all sides, so liberalism is no longer sustained by reason and argument, but by the mores and pieties that liberals have quietly entrenched in, as the unquestioned, taken-for-granted background of all things. Right? It, it's a parochial ethos which we have progressively been indoctrinated by small, imperceptible increments, just like most people don't think it's any big deal that a s- small ethnic lobby, the Anti-Defamation League, yesterday 's to decide what constitutes free speech in America, what you get to say on social media. Let's get back to Tucker. So
3: leaders of both parties have been talking about the mass shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde since it happened two months ago. And they're using that tragedy as a pretext to take your guns away as a law-abiding person. But they've ignored what happened in Uvalde at the school. And they've especially ignored the failure of police on the scene to prevent the shooting. Now, outside the school, officers prevented parents from saving their own children. This went on for roughly an hour. Now we know the police were, what they were doing inside the school. Trace Gallagher has that video for us tonight. Hey, Trace. Tucker, the
9: entire video is 77 minutes. It was obtained by KVUE-TV and the Austin American statesman who cut it to four minutes and removed some sound. But the context remains very much the same, meaning that for more than an hour, heavily armed police officers stood in a school hallway during an active shooting and did nothing. Here's the timeline. 11.33 a.m., the gunman enters the school through a propped open door and starts shooting into rooms 111 and 112. Two minutes later, police enter through the same propped open door. Three officers go toward the classroom, but when the gunman opens fire, they retreat to where the other officers are positioned. Watch. And by now, there are 19 officers on campus. Now, at the same time, a girl calls 911 and whispers that she's in room 112. Over the next 20 minutes, she calls back four more times, telling dispatchers that multiple children are dead, some are alive, and that she desperately needs help. She got nothing. At 1215, SWAT team members arrive on campus but still do not enter the classrooms. 47 minutes after the shooting began, an officer walks over, gets hand sanitizer, and goes back to his waiting position. It took one hour, 17 minutes, before Border Patrol agents finally breached the door, entered the class, and killed the gunman.
3: Tucker. That's just such an awful story. Trace Gallagher, thanks so much. You bet. Using hand sanitizer. We've defended the police and we'll continue to defend the police. They're essential. Most of them are good people. But you can't lie about what actually happened as a pretext to taking guns away from law-abiding Americans in the middle of a crime epidemic. And that's what they're doing because they're liars. So since Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, you've heard a lot about ectoptic pregnancies. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's when he fertilized egg implants outside the uterus. And that can be a huge emergency, life-threatening emergency. Now, Democrats are now pretending that women with ectopic pregnancies are no longer able to receive medical care. Sandy Cortez of Westchester is one of those. She has mocked Brett Kavanaugh and his family for being harassed at dinner because Brett Kavanaugh somehow, who has children unlike her, does not care about ectopic pregnancies. Quote, poor guy. He left before his souffle because he decided half the country should risk death if they have an ectopic pregnancy within the wrong state lines. Now, first of all, she's encouraging violence, as she has done before which is unacceptable, particularly for an elected official, period. For another, it's a lie. No state considers treatment for ectopic pregnancies to be abortion, and no state ever will. So what does it tell us that politicians are lying about this? Can you imagine? And why did the Biden administration, speaking of lying, just repeat a story about a 10-year-old child who got pregnant and then got an abortion or was not allowed to get an abortion when it turns out that the story was not true? And by the way, when a 10-year-old gets pregnant, the first question is not, How do we get rid of the kid? The first question is, where's the rapist? Where's the rapist? Alison Centefonte is a pro-life advocate who has watched all of this happen, and she joins us tonight. Alison, thanks so much for coming on. So first to the question of ectopic pregnancies, which is a a tragedy and is a legitimately scary thing and not that uncommon. Mm -hmm. Democrats are saying that these are somehow treatment for this medical emergency is illegal in places because of Roe v. Wade falling? Is that true?
9: No. Uh, listen, there are so many lies floating around the internet right now, and it's so sad to see our world leaders, our national leaders like Joe Biden himself, Kamala Harris, and others repeat the lie that I believe they know is a blatant lie. There is no pro life or no pro-life legislation that seeks to limit women's ability to treat an ectopic pregnancy or a miscarriage. You know that. And you know that if anyone did try and limit a woman's access to that care, we, the pro-life movement, would be the first to see speak out against it there is a big difference legally and medically between ectopic pregnancy miscarriage management and abortion no woman tucker chooses an ectopic pregnancy or a miscarriage we're here to defend children we're talking about an abortion which is a choice to intentionally destroy an innocent human life
3: that's exactly right and you, you do wish people would push back harder and by the way if they can't have an honest conversation about it then maybe they don't have pure motives. I, I guess I would, I would conclude. Alison Zidafonte, I appreciate your clarity on that. Thank you very much. Thanks. So we're learning a ton from the massive data drop from Hunter Biden's electronic devices, including the fact that Joe Biden's family refers to him by a nickname. That's, I well, don't quite know what to say about it, but we have some idea why they call him this. We'll tell you what they call him and why next.
0: Uh, looking at the chat and uh judas says to alexander you will rot in hell for your idolatry you evil fool and my first reaction was you know wow that's not very civil judas you know maybe you're, you're violating the the uh the social contract that we have here a place of love and inclusion then i just thought oh wow here's someone who takes religion seriously like if you take your religion seriously this is how you're going to think, right? Every religion makes exclusive claims of truth. But in America, the religion of civility is usually you know, far stronger, far more widely held than the authentic claims of individual religions. So, yeah, this this idea that you're just going to burn in hell, you, you heretic, well, that. That is basically what pretty much every religion says. But in America, we've been so schooled that civility is more important than truth claims by religion that it, it's kind of shocking to hear it. And let's get a little bit more from our favorites, Decoding the Gurus, on Lex Friedman and Jonathan Hyde. A bunch of the content, so we're going to treat them
8: together. Yeah, that's okay. That falls within our remit. We've done um, this before, it's, right? <laughs> it's a double feature. And height he's an intellectual figure. He's a commentator. He's quite well known. He falls within the bounds of being fair game for Decoding the Gurus. We've
0: had
5: various requests to do an episode on Hyde.
0: And a question in the chat. Am I a fan of boys' choirs? Actually, I am. I love Libra. Libra is just this terrific uh, boys' choir. There are a lot of uh, yeshiva boys' choirs that, that I really enjoy as well. I
5: think in part because of his role in the heterodox sphere and setting up Heterodox Academy, writing The Coddling of the American Mind and so on. And I don't think we will do a dedicated separate height episode, at least not for some time. So this is what you get. We'll have a look at whether people's critiques of hype are fair based on this content. It wasn't supposed to be a height episode. That's the point. It ended up a height
8: episode. <laughs> yeah, well, it's half a height episode. Half Lex, half hype. Yeah.
0: Now, Lex Friedman is kind of an interesting dude. He's, he's not uh, what you call neurotypical. He's not someone who seems to interact very much with other people. He does not have a like normal levels of human connection, he seems completely stunted when it comes to the task of being human. So uh, on this basis, I, I'm skeptical uh, of how grounded he is in reality. So I expect he may, might create interesting fantasies about reality, but given that he doesn't brook the mildest criticism of him on subreddit, that, that he, he blocks the mildest criticism on social media, he even blocked these gentle giants of decoding the gurus. So he seems to prefer to live in a fantasy world where history may one day call upon him to defeat the giant forces of evil. So also what I get from him is this kind of false performance to, so that you admire him. So yeah, in short, I'm, I'm fairly skeptical about uh, Lex Friedman.
5: Good. So we're going to start with a day in the life. And just to remind you, Matt, just rather go back, as I say, you are the voice of my conscience, right? So,
0: yeah, I've never heard Lex Friedman say anything interesting. Everything he says is like either nonsensical or a, a platitude. I've never heard him say one interesting thing.
5: This is going to be hard for me because Lex, as you'll see,
8: is something of a sincerity monster. Maybe we should get this out of the way off the bat. Lex, Lex Rubin's personality, it's fair to say, is different from yours and mine. His cultural sensibilities are different from us Not bad, or worse necessarily, just different. It's probably because his ancestors the... were from the Russian Tundra. <laughs> As he says in this episode.
0: And he... it, It's all about love and respecting each other through
8: conversations. <laughs> May well be the first one to admit he is perhaps somewhat neurologically atypical. How would you describe his personality, Chris? Naive. <laughs> <laughs>
5: no, he's, <laughs> he's sincere to a fault, might be one of the ways to put it. And I think a good example of it is the tweet he made at the outbreak of the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. And he has various family connections and background there. So let me just read that tweet. What Lex said was, I stayed up all night talking to people in Ukraine and Russia. I'll publish Mark Zuckerberg podcast another day. I will travel to Russia and Ukraine. I will speak to citizens and leaders, including Putin. War is being. My words are useless. I send my love. It's all I have. So So, very sincere,
8: very sincere and well-intentioned. And I think your original impression of those kinds of statements, thinking that you personally are going to go over there, have a chat with Putin and sort this whole mess out, might well be an indication of someone with delusional and grandiose narcissism that would be conforming to that kind of attitude. But I think after listening to this content, we've maybe changed our mind about that and it's rather almost like sincerity naivety. <laughs> so naivety naive sincerity
5: perhaps but yeah so i will say that i read lex to have something of a narcissistic personality which we observe in a lot of our gurus and this was not to say that it comes across the same as like brett or so on like it's a different this sense that for example that you need to go over and talk to putin and that if you just bring your love that you might be able to do something and that it would be the time to sit down and do a long-form podcast with Putin and Zelensky. Like that's not the problem. It doesn't strike as somebody scrambling to process the situation. It's rather centering yourself in a global conflict and having this very insane view about the power of podcasting. But in hindsight, after listening to these conversations that we're going to talk about, I think that Lex was sincere in that he is thinking the only thing he can do is podcast and talk. To
0: yeah, he's the sincerely delusional. Let's get a little
3: bit more here from Tucker. So a lot of people online are wondering why, according to Hunter Biden's electronic devices, Joe Biden's family refers to him as pedo-Peter. It's kind of weird. Why would they call a guy who showers with his own daughter pedo-Peter? We have no idea. Then we saw these pictures. They showed Joe Biden kissing his own granddaughter on the lips multiple times. In February of 2020, Joe Biden was speaking at a campaign event in Iowa. He said his daughter told him not to kiss her in public. Then he said his granddaughter is, quote, different.
10: But granddaughters not only love their dads, their grandpops, they always like them. And that's the great thing.
3: Thank you, baby. Thanks. Yeah. So totally normal. Sharing with your daughter is totally normal. But there is a reason the FBI wants to get its hands on Joe Biden's daughter's diary very badly and is willing to arrest people in order to keep that from becoming public. We'll let you continue to guess. That's it for us tonight. Before we go, though, sad news. The Democratic Party's future, the twerking queen, Tierra Mac, state senator from Rhode Island, looks like she was banned from TikTok earlier today. Apparently, the Chinese are interfering in the Democratic Party's internal affairs. They don't like her twerking. They're pretty uptight, old Xi Jinping. We're going to investigate exactly what happened. Of course, bring it to you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. But in the meantime, Sean Hannity takes over
2: live. Hey, How do I pick up from twerking? I'm not sure exactly where to start, but... Uh, it's a Tucker, tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. Shake right. it, baby. All right, thank you. And tonight, we're continuing to track several major developing stories, including uh, down in the Washington, D.C. sewer, the swamp, where Senator Josh Hawley had this exchange with a far-left Berkeley professor. Aren't, don't you wish to, you can send your kids to a school like this? About what the definition of a woman is. Here's a small sample. Your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what?
6: So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic (laughs) um, and it opens up trans people to violence.
2: Wait wait till you hear what they have to say about men giving birth to children. We'll show you the full remarks ahead. Senator Josh Hawley will join us straight ahead. Don't miss it. But first tonight we begin with the bizarre, baffling and bewildering.
0: Okay, we'll keep an eye if uh, Sean Hannity says anything interesting. But uh, let's enter the wild, wacky world of uh, Lex Friedman. People and remind them of love, and that if he did that,
5: Putin and Zelensky are both men, both powerful men, and it might work, it might not. But by Goddammit, he's going to try.
8: And yeah, that's that's something that is something. So very different from the cynical, hard nosed exactly <laughs> approach of us. But we're going to try to take that into account, and we're going to try to restrict, well, not restrict, but we're going to try to focus, I think, on the content, on the arguments he's putting forward. But the personality and the way his brain processes things obviously comes into play throughout.
5: Right. There's like a cultural difference. It's like Brené Brown, similar in certain respects to that, where there's just a vast gap between <laughs> the way Lex approaches things and the way
0: yeah with with lax friedman with brene Brown with uh, joe rogan uh, these these people are all the equivalent of Gwyneth Paltrow in intellect this, this is all like goop for goop for men all right this is a red bar unless you friedman. Go, come
14: on Mike this is crazy no we just ignore it. we pretend that it's fine. Listen to this but I,
15: I feel like the responsibility that you carry that I carry. cheers everyone this who is a great where red bar Joe Rogan, <laughs> question, journal, He removes himself from the, he, I'm just a comedian this idea of I'm just a comedian they all do that but
2: what
14: do these guys have no content they just talk about Joe Rogan positively so if you talk about Joe Rogan positively for an hour you're amazing talk about Joe Rogan realistically for an hour oh you've got no content you're using... Ju- Imagine someone saying no content to me. Every word out of my mouth is grade A content. So when I see this, I start getting mad. I see a stainless steel refrigerator in the shot. <laughs> Should you ever see a stainless steel refrigerator on a podcast? Unless it's being shot out of a uh,
15: Best Buy? At this moment in history, like history literally... Can pivot on yeah. the words of a tattooed <laughs> god, uh, oh. ripped fifty-year-old. You know, that's how
14: he, he's a tattooed fifty-year-old who's ripped. He has it all. He has nothing. We all hate him. Don't you watch Red Bar Space Cadet? You're gonna see warts really soon. Don't worry, I'll zoom into all seventy of his moons. Okay, <laughs> you yeah. know, Uh we'll see the asteroids that have hit. From inside, coming out, you know, looking like Freddie Krueger's stomach again. I use that reference a lot, but his warts look like things are trying to escape from inside his head, pushing out, but they can't get through the thick, thick layer of skin that he has. Comedian, Watches. and I think
15: the same is true with
14: you. Okay, well, I'm I'm interested and I care. Speaking of lyrics, uh- wow, there he is, warts. Oh, it's got about seventy two. Syllables to it. Okay, try spelling warts. What's got more words? Paranth, Venkataramarajam, or warts? What has more characters? Warts. You got it right. <laughs> this guy not only has warts, and let's count some of these one little two little three little wardians three little four little five little wardians six little seven little eight little wardians nine little wardian warts nine little ten little eleven if you're going up in key to do another verse a rephrase what do they call a reprise that's a lot of warts he dyes his hair now his hair dye is thinning here he dyes his hair jet black as if that's gonna help and this guy I'm telling you like this is another one of those guys where I go I hope the FBI I hope there's some authority watching these people because what we're getting here is the biggest sham in the world like we're letting these people talk to us on the internet and the top guy on the internet is like should be in jail to me Seriously, I'm not kidding around. When I hear the loose stuff coming out of these guys' mouths, Mike Baker, we'll show you him. Warts. I mean, it's so crazy and wrong. And who's going to believe me? You know, because I don't have some bullshit degree from MIT.
13: He doesn't have a degree from MIT.
14: Well, what does he have I a degree mean, Lex, from? Oh, oh. yeah, Lax does. Who, do, who does? No, Lax doesn't. Oh, doesn't. Okay, just likes mit he-, he talked about mit once so i'm telling you that he these guys <laughs> are wrong listen i'm not saying i'm smarter than them but i am saying i think they're highly dangerous and they're wrong and i just know it like i know mike baker will show him i know he's corrupt and bad i just know it
0: i know warts is I mean, it sounds crude and uh, demeaning, and, but Red Bar has a pretty good feel for creeps. Vanity-driven. Believe it or
14: not, he's <laughs> I like,
5: believe, looking at the works, I know Lex I is not doing
14: I'm telling you, I don't just pick on these people for no reason. There's some people that I don't bring up. What did I just forget about them? No. They're not this evil. Look at this nonsense that they're going to say. Do we go to a certain time code here? Four minutes?
16: Um. Yeah, you can go.
14: I can go. And I wish these people would listen to me. This warts.
13: Oh, so they're going to remember a little while ago, we were mercilessly mocking Sam Tripoli for suggesting there was a conspiracy theory yeah. where the media was trying to take down Rogan via his friends.
14: Oh, my God. Listen to this. You know how Brian Callan, he went the way of the rape. Chris D'Elia got Me Too'd out of existence. Who else? Uh, who else are the big name? I mean, there's more. Like Chris D'Elia, um, Brian Joey Callen. Diaz. Joey Diaz got uh, Me Too'd very lightly. Okay, let's really break this down. Joey Diaz is really... Well, I guess Brian Callan too. These people. Oh, I-, I think I'll just let you hear what yeah. they say. Guys. Remember when you thought warts should be allowed to speak to the public? May I present you the tape that should have him arrested? It's warts like you've never seen him before. Listen to this.
7: And like, okay, so if you do that, you totally miss the opportunity. And, you know, the savvy people used to say, kid, let me tell you, nobody ever lost a dime underestimating the intelligence of the American people. Well, that was totally wrong. Because they didn't calculate opportunity costs. I have been talking about the problem of of Joe for a long time.
14: I've been talking about the problem of Joe for a long. Yeah, so have we. Imagine this intellectual. The these are people I've been talking about the problem of Joe for a long time. These are people who like lead colleges. I think I don't know what these people do actually. They wear suits. They're ugly. They think they're scientists. I don't know what these people are. But should they be involved with Joe Rogan outside of just promoting their concepts on his show? I mean, these are Rogan fanboys. But listen to what he says right now.
7: Um, the problem is is that when the system wakes up, they're going to want to control it. And
15: they have different. they come up with new different mechanisms of doing that. I guess one interesting one
7: is cancel culture. Well, look it's... at the number of people around Joe who they've come after since they realized that
14: Joe... Oh, fucking K. (laughs) One way they... This is Lex Fridman. One way they decide to control Joe is by using cancel culture. Who's they, by the way? And then Eric Weinstein, an intellectual that should be taken seriously, says, well, look at how they've come after the people around Joe. He's talking about Chris D'Elia, Brian Callen, and Joey Diaz. They didn't barely come after Joey Diaz.
0: Right, right. They're some of the greatest the greatest men in the world, they're, they're coming after them. So Ricardo has a good line here. Luke traded in his slavery to Kevin Michael Grace's version of Luke's show for Tucker Carson's overlordship. Now Luke has to stream at 5 p.m. Pacific forever to keep his audience. Yeah, I am not a Kevin Michael Grace who can just hold out a daily show just by virtue of his own learning and, and charisma. I have to work off other people. Right, right. I'm not someone who can just bring it and set the temperature of the room with my own charisma. Wait that
5: Matt and I anyway, we've made that clear enough. So let's go and look at this content. So we'll take it chronologically. Brett,
17: a day in the life of Lex. Um, what does he start with? Let's see. First thing there's a mantra, a list that I have on a sheet of paper that I go through. So I start by reminding myself of the current set of rules and constraints on the various addictions, things that drain on my time. So that includes social media. The current rule is I only check social media when I post which is one, two, or three times a day for no more than 10 minutes. So that that's it. It's very strict. Okay, so this is Lex wakes up in the morning. He's got a set of rules and restrictions he lives by. And first is don't overindulge in social media. So far, so good. So let's continue with the mantra. So the first part of the mantra is I remind myself of those rules. It kind of sets the constraints within which the game is to be played. The second part of the mantra is gratitude. I visualize and meditate on the idea that I might die today. Ed- ha <laughs> ha!
0: Sounds like a good thing to meditate on every day. So some great comments in the chat. Bonesbo says, uh, Tucker Carlson rousing the rabble again, but when they actually get agitated enough to do stuff like January 6th, then he counter signals his own base. So there's a thoughtful book here on conservative claims of cultural oppression, the nature and origin of uh, conservophobia. Like, why is the the right so so angry? And What's going on is, this is Kevin Williamson, all right? Kevin Williamson in National Review. He, he writes, the less organizing principle is control. And the possibility that children might commonly be raised out of its control matrix is an existential threat from the liberal point of view. So institutions such as free markets and free speech terrify people on the left because they are the result of arrangements in which nobody is in control. Homeschooling isn't for everybody, but for every homeschool student, like every firearm in private hands, is a quiet little declaration of independence. It's no accident that the people who want to seize your guns are also the ones who want to seize your children. Any
17: moment today. So I kind of try to accept the notion that today is my last day on this earth. And it's mostly just a breathe in and out and a pause and a meditation on the fact that it's freaking amazing that I'm alive. Life is amazing.
13: As I say, Matt, there's a cultural difference. Yeah.
5: <laughs> then, wake up in the morning, see another sunrise, and think, "For fuck's sake, <laughs> here, we
8: go, here we
14: go again." Yeah, so, a...
5: Meditating on death, thing, it's kind of the samurai ethos, right? At least the popular image of this, or it's also popular in certain strains of Buddhism to focus that death is ever present lurking at every corner. I think the Stoics might have also recommended that, uh, that, you know, live every day like it's your last. Carpe diem, Matt. Eh? Carpe diem. Mm-hmm.
8: I'm definitely not doing that. Wake up in the morning and try to remember how much it was I drunk last night. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> generally how my day starts. <laughs>
5: yeah, so there's, Again, look, nothing wrong. Just he meditates on no. death to start his day. Fine. That's yep. all right. Okay, good job. What's the second part of the
17: mantra? Third is I list out loud, by the way, unless I'm with somebody, then it's in my head. But I list a set of goals for the next five years the set of goals that i have and these are ambitious big goals that i would like to achieve in the next five years
0: so goals are fine but they come with two main downsides one you'll be very tempted to ride roughshod over other people and over decency and uh, you know basic norms of, of good behavior to achieve your goals and two goals constrain and limit your vision so often a nice little bonus, but they're not exactly the stuff that's gonna turn your life around. So you hear on the left that the personal is the political. Well, given the less sensational, insatiable lust for control, what used to be just purely private preferences on how to best educate your children have now become political acts. These are quiet little declarations of independence through which to hold off left-wing hegemony for yet another day. So when conservatives claim cultural oppression, They're not primarily going after liberalism's flaws as a political philosophy. They want to expose the left's transgressions as a social practice, essentially works to demoralize and gaslight those who remain steadfastly loyal to traditional values, traditional American values, things like owning a gun, schooling your own children, having a wife in the home instead of working, people who go to church, people who support the police, Ranchers. small business entrepreneurs. So the whole ordered liberty of the conservative is for the lefty a threat to his control. And so it must be targeted at every turn as a danger to the civilized order, right? The civilized order is now being consumed with liberalism itself. So liberals are hostile towards homeschooling. They're hostile towards gun ownership. They're now hostile towards free speech. Because people cannot be trusted to raise their kids, to have a weapon, or to speak freely, right? People need to be controlled.
17: Fourth is I list more near-term goals. For me, that's by the end of 2020, I want to do these kinds of things. They're just out of reach, but achievable. So if I really work my ass off, and with a bit of luck, I can get it done. I mean, that really starts to get me amped up. Like, let's, let's get to work fifth part of the mantra zooming in even further i actually focus in on the day i visualize going through the rest of the day all the things i think i need to get done this is really quick but i literally visualize myself like in a game of sims like on fast forward running around getting all this stuff done successfully like i visualize both the struggle of it i visualize the hardest part of the day that i, I have on my to-do list and getting them done crushing it but
0: right it's it's just such a uh a, a, an icky performance to get your admiration it's a day
14: Look at this opening. Here we go, guys.
13: Are we rolling? What? What is that? Shut the fuck up. Are you timing this interview?
15: So I know what time it is. Do you want me to not?
13: Is it a... Wait, no, put it back... Okay, but what, what did you... Can you just explain to me the psychology of that? For those of you listening, Lex just put his phone on the table and it had like a stopwatch going.
14: See, she knows there's something up with him and he's just kind of treating him... You know, she doesn't really treat her other guests like this. You know, where she's kind of casually shitting on him the whole time.
13: But that doesn't last long.
18: It doesn't last
14: long because I believe Whitney, who has been single for a very long time, and Lax, who has been single for over 10 years. And you're going to see this guy is like almost obsessed with this false romantic idea of finding love. Like he's one of those guys who is like, he's never had a relationship.
0: Yeah, so you can, uh, on his subreddit, you can send a romantic proposal to Lex.
14: And then he sees, like, for instance, like, uh, he sees guys complaining about their girlfriends, right? You know, typical complaints. Oh, this ball and change. And in his mind, he's never had a girlfriend. So he does stuff like, if I had a girlfriend, I would let her annoy me all day. I would cherish her. I would, okay, well, you've never had a girlfriend. So (laughs)
0: that's why you kind of think...
14: You know, and he's romantic.
0: And uh, Chris Alton says this comedian is a really evil guy. I dislike him even more than Lex. Yeah, I can understand why you say that, but uh, Bar gives some pretty, pretty harsh truths. All right, he's got a really good radar. Like he's right to be concerned about uh, Eric Weinstein and, and uh, Lex, Lex Friedman. These are people pretty disconnected from reality. Self aggrandizing people who are dangerous so i haven't watched a lot of red Bob, maybe maybe say six seven hours total but every time i've watched him he's had pretty good instincts for what's going on now he, he phrases things in, in a more cruel fashion than than i would
14: fantasized so many things this is not what i want my scientists doing let's watch a little lex it
15: contextualizes like how we're doing.
10: He's so full of it. If I
15: look down <laughs> on the phone <laughs> and I could <laughs> tell that time has passed way faster than it usually passes, that means I'm having fun. That's how I know. Good I'm impression. Having
14: fun. Oh, I got better ones so coming. You need,
13: up. <laughs> <laughs> you need proof that you're having fun. Yeah, I'm like that. I don't. I. I'm not good at fun because I. feel— Whitney
14: has become an amazing interviewer. By the way, I'm not kidding. She's
13: I think that too. Her really show is pretty good. good.
14: She's really good. Okay, where we gotten? You got to read me the time codes. My eyes have gone.
13: Okay, you can go to two minutes for the first note okay. of flirtatiousness. This
14: is where they start flirting, and this whole thing turns into a sex show. He's horny as fuck. He has been, and I'm not kidding, you're going to see this. He's been a giant fan of Whitney for years. He knows everything about her. He's watched all of her podcasts, all of her appearances. She doesn't know this. She's going to learn this on the show. She has literally let in an obsessed fan into her home thinking, oh, this is one of Joe Rogan's scientist friends, not realizing, no, 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 he re- he wrote a paper that got him into MIT years ago. He's been... Ostracized from the community ever since. And now he is an online personality stalker who has weaseled his way into your home. This is a dangerous setup. Yeah, no, for sure. Self
15: examination. Cheers. Yeah. Here we go. Being yourself is very good for productivity. The problem is life is short, it ends, and you never get to enjoy it.
13: The most, um, the least talented people I know are the most confident about their talent.
15: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you have to like, so the way I, I try to do it is I oscillate back and forth. I'm full of self doubt. I hate everything I do. Every go. once in a while, not often during the day, I'll just be like, damn, it's awesome to be alive. Uh, just just like breathe in and out and just realize it. Be grateful that uh for everything. Just for the ability to breathe, ability to do all the awesome things coming. that I get to do. That all of us get to do. Listen. Awesome. I don't know, love this. and nature helps too.
13: You should use that for what? It's a good pickup line.
15: I'm, that's what my, this this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I, have- I thought this was a date.
14: <laughs> okay, I want to let you in on a little secret. What are scientists good at? Studying. No, studying. Oh, intellectuals, these brainiacs—they're good at studying. Lex wants something more than a Pulitzer. Or whatever you get. What's a science award? Sure. The Egon Specter statue. <laughs> Lex wants something that even science can't build him. Now, let's think about this. What What is Lex's specialty? AI. Have you seen the movie Her? Lex wants to build the perfect woman. I'm not kidding. This isn't a joke. Lex will do anything for the love he's never had. This is one of those sick, crazy fucking guys that is capable of anything, I believe. Uh, Lex wants to build, and he's going to say as much, he wants to build an AI system that keeps people company and that gives people love. I'm not kidding, he says this. Now, a guy that is willing to build a robot girlfriend is also willing to study everything he thinks... (laughs) a girl wants out of a man to get a girl because she's also obsessed with this idea of being in love and having this relationship. So what Lex has done, I gather, is for years he's studied every aspect of what a girl wants, the small little things. I mean, really, the subtleties of charisma, uh, the subtleties of humor, that girls like. He He's read every self-help book, every How to Catch a Girl book, and he's even gone further. You know, this is a scientist. A layman reads a couple books and uses the cheap tricks that are available to all of us. Alex Friedman studies the tiny little minutia that gets a girl to like a guy, and all of those tricks are on display here today. Even down to the, a girl likes it when you smile a little bit, she does this. So, the only thing holding him back is his creepy personality and his looks. <laughs> Other than that, he's Tyler from The Bachelor. I mean, <laughs> he's putting on, every, if this guy was a hunk, he'd be a dreamboat. I mean, really, he's using every trick in the book. I think he's dangerous. I really do. Lex, don't come at me, mo- uh, bro. I don't want any trouble. Don't you at me. You might have me.
13: even created a robot that's better at getting women, and this could be the robot talking this to right now. This could be the robot.
0: Okay, if someone else is a little bit like uh, Lex Friedman.
18: And your super type personality about black and white crime. What is that going to produce? What is that kind of Steve Saylor-esque, um, I'm thinking of Colin Flaherty, that these people obsess over.
0: Right, so... So uh, Kenneth Brown, a.k.a. Deep Left Jokal, has this series, Liars on the Right, and very unimpressive series, particularly the one I saw on Ed Dutton. He he was not able to produce one single lie that Ed Dutton had told. So here Kenneth Brown is saying, Hey, guys, when has truth ever done for you, right? When has it been a good thing to tell the truth? When has it been a good thing to live in reality? Guys, come on. Why, why why, do you care so much about truth? Why is it important to you to live in reality? So I have friends who are very well educated, graduate school educations, who are dating women in graduate school, and they go visit their girlfriend. And let's just say she has an apartment in a bad part of town because the rent is so cheap. And... Why does she have an apartment in, in a bad part of town? Because she's a product of left-wing thought. The people are just basically good, right? She, she believes in diversity, so she's going to go live it.
18: And your super type A personality about black and white crime.
0: Meaning super type A personality means you care about truth. Right? Do you care about truth? Well, Kenneth Brown thinks you're a loser. Right? I, I think the pursuit of truth is noble. I think living in reality is a really good thing. And sometimes it's even a good idea to say the truth out loud, sometimes even publicly.
18: What is that going to produce? What is that kind of Steve say?
0: Yeah, when has the truth ever produced anything good? Guys, come on, we need to live in the lie. Ken Brown wants you to live in the lie. When has it ever produced any good, right? Say, telling, telling your daughter that if you date this type of guy, You're more likely to get an STD. You're more likely to get raped. You're more likely to be the victim of violent crime. You're more likely to get impregnated because he is less likely to be careful. And he's less likely to stick around to help raise the baby. And he's less likely to have financial resources to help you do that. Right? But... uh, these basic home truths, right? Ken Brown thinks they're a bad idea. So what, what if you encourage your friends or your, your children or anyone who listens to you that when you see certain groups in, in numbers that uh, you should probably distance yourself because the odds of something really horrific happening have dramatically gone up? that you can just look at certain groups and they are, say, 500 times more likely to murder you or to rape you or to rob you or to mug you, right, than other groups.
18: LRS, um, I'm thinking of Colin Flair, the, the, these people obsess over black and white crime. If we reduce, if we eliminate black and white crime, it goes from 533 to zero, what are we gonna have to do to get there? And what's that world going to look like? Is that not going to look like a completely feminized, pacified, peaceful, no violence anywhere, no danger anywhere? Isn't that
0: Hey, I was just in Australia, so there's virtually no crime in Australia, right? Uh, Sydney is one of the the safest cities in the world. So if uh, Ken Brown wants to know what it's like to drastically reduce crime, then go to Japan. Go to Australia, right? Go to Beverly Hills, right? You don't know the enormous price that uh, crime takes away from the lives of decent people, right? How... It reduces the incentives to go outside and to mix and to contribute to society and to meet new people. Right? Crime you know, kills quality of life. It, it's awful. But Ken Brown thinks that uh, paying attention to what's true, what's accurate, what's good, what's important, that, that uh, what has that ever done for you? What has truth ever done for you, bro? You're just going to have you know, some some feminized society, right? Like, like Australia or Japan.
18: Not also have consequences. And maybe you think that's worth it, but I'm skeptical of that. I'm skeptical of that when there are so many other things that kill people in a much worse way, I think.
0: I think. Right, so if if let's say 13% of the population commits a minimum of 56% of, of murders, uh, to me that's like a decent point that, that people should notice and uh, take into consideration. And it should be something that you're allowed to say out loud. Now, you're not allowed to say it uh, on YouTube or uh, on Twitter. I can't give specifics because it's just taken for granted that an ethnic lobby group, the Anti-Defamation League, should, should be allowed to decide what we can say here. And no one sees any problem having an ethnic lobby group determine what, what billions of people can say on social media. To me, it's a problem.
8: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I just having this thought now. I didn't think this before when I heard it for the first time. But this is kind of an American thing too, isn't it? I mean, it's partly Lex thing. He's built differently, but it's partly an American vision thing. boards. You know, manifesting your the destiny. Secret. Yeah. I mean, it takes different forms. There's this West Coast sort of technology, optimizing productivity. Kim Ferriss style thing. I mean, that's what this is part of. It's a kind of life hack on crack. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> <serious.
5: laughs> like we're not through the mantra yet to start the day. No. And we're on step five of the mantra. <laughs>
8: yeah. This is pretty heavy going just after visualizing.
0: So yeah, there's something anti-human about uh, Lex Friedman and, and uh, about Ken Brown. Uh, not Not blaming them. All right like me, they're a product of time and circumstances, genetics and and upbringing. And he's got a video here, am I anti-human?
18: So now in this day where Christianity has been stripped away, I wanna do a series of interviews with sex workers. I wanna meet with sex workers in real life and I wanna interview them about their opinions because I've started to see this phenomenon of conservative sex workers.
0: Yeah, so Ken thinks that microplastics and canola oil should be the focus instead of crime rates and racial preferences.
18: And I want to investigate that because to me, or even Christian sex workers, I want to investigate this superficiality of the term and the identification with the quality of
0: and it's just purely for philosophical reasons, all right? That, that's the only reason he wants to get to know some sex workers, all right? It's nothing prurient. It's not because he'd like to buy a girlfriend. No, it's just it's the philosophy of it. For
18: the action. So this is a semantic issue we come up with humanism.
0: Yeah, it's just purely semantics. That's the That's the only reason he wants to go interview some sex workers
8: your death and thinking deeply on it but then you
5: think about the sims like you're a little
8: tilt-shifted man running around the world <laughs> driving your car It fast forward but let's look we're not here to make fun of works there's nothing terrible in this it is really strong stuff it's a hell of a way to start the day it's very optimized but there's nothing toxic there is there there's nothing, there's nothing bad.
5: No, the angst is just an illustration of that West Coast optimizer productivity culture. And that's what this is. I think that Lex is a techno monk. I think that's what he is. And monks start their day of thinking about the sufferings of Christ or whatever. Lex thinks about this might be his last day. Let's be a tilt shifted sim and get things done. That's it. Yeah. But look, there's a lot of this like self-talk, hype yourself up, be the man that you want
17: to be. And finally, I go through a set of principles that I strive to live up to as a man. Now there's a particular set of phrases that are a little bit cliche, but I think fundamental to who I am. But they center around compassion, empathy, love, and on the other side of it is character, uh, integrity, and strength, both physical and mental. So today's a little bit different because I'm also making this video. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's a distraction. It takes away from my focus, but I'm going to get the job done. I said I'm going to do it. I'll do it. Wow.
0: And uh, I agree with Ben Shapiro. He says Trump is too dumb to plan a coup. So yeah, I've never had any sense that uh, Trump's been planning a coup. So the... The dominant perspective on on the mainstream media and among liberals and the left is that uh, Trump's authoritarian. He doesn't strike me as uh, remotely authoritarian. Uh, He just uh, he he always protests and he always litigates and he always tries to work the art of the deal. And January sixth, some people took took uh, things a little too far. But no, I, I don't think Trump is remotely the type of bloke to plan a coup.
18: Talk about it. Ben Shapiro was talking about the January 6th uh, hearing and he made a, an interesting
16: argument, to say the least, about Trump. Let's take a look. Now, the biggest problem that any prosecution, this is what Merrick Garland is facing down. The biggest problem for any prosecution of Trump is that virtually all the crimes they're talking about are crimes that require intent as an element of the crime.
0: And a question from the chat. Look, you don't think that your interviews with porn stars were partially philosophical? Or were they just for the money? No, of course, they were partially philosophical. All right. I, my, my point is that we're all incredibly mixed. All right. We're all shot filled with all sorts of contrary motives. So the idea that I would just interview porn stars for philosophy or for semantics, right, that's absurd. So I am reacting against Lex Friedman and uh, Ken Brown with their over-the-top assertions of mono-motivation.
16: Negligence crime. It's not Trump sat there and he didn't really know what was going to happen. He was careless and reckless about it, and therefore it happened. Because that, again, recklessness is a lower standard. Criminal negligence is a lower standard. If you want to prove intent, and that's what this committee said they were doing. They said from the outset there was a seven-step plan, like a concerted plan of intent to, to get us from November 4th to January 6th, and that that plan was put in place step by step methodically. They have not proved that there was a plan, right? It, it seems more like Donald Trump thrashing against a glass box is is more what it seems like, frankly. But that was always true. Now, a few years ago, I said that I wasn't sure we were talking about Trump and Ukraine and the impeachment effort, and I said there too, this is a crime of intent. I'm not sure that Donald Trump has the intent to eat a ham sandwich. Like, I just he's not a person who has a plan, and a lot of.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty accurate. That's um, some good stuff. So conservative claims of cultural oppression, right? So it's not that conservatives see themselves just as losers in the war of ideas and this war is always rigged against them, right? Essentially, people on the right, traditionalist conservatives, right, kind of see themselves as an endangered group that is constantly being encroached upon by some foreign colonial power that is endlessly contemptuous of them of their ways and bent on replacing their culture with with their own supposedly more advanced culture, right? So National Review nailed it. The crusade against private gun ownership is for the left a culture war. The sort of people who are likely to own or to enjoy guns are the sort of people who are most intensely hated by the social tendency that produced Barack Obama, right? That uh, people are just clinging to their guns and religion. Right, so the left-wing jihad against hunters, against rural people, against shooting enthusiasts, and against Second Amendment partisans will do nothing to prevent lunatics from shooting up schools or shopping malls, but they exploit the victims of these awful crimes in the service of a very focused form of snobbery. So for all the liberal left egalitarianism and talk about being pragmatic and objective, that the liberal elites, the left-wing elites committed to their own particular brand of identity politics. Right, and those bitter clingers who stand in the way of gun control are not just misguided, they despise as occupants of a lower moral and cognitive order. They're just parts of a barbaric past that liberals and people on the left alone have superseded. So, people on the right believe in traditional hierarchies around things like uh, race, say, sexual purity, work ethic, religious affiliation, family pedigree. Right, but The status hierarchy in left liberalism is rooted in cognitive elitism, right? And it's a morally charged division between those who are woke and aware and those who are not, right? Do you possess the kind of psychological maturity to accede to liberalism? And if you lack that maturity, well, then you must be reformed. So this identity politics on the left will use pragmatic-sounding pretexts like the the danger of firearms or the inadequacy of homeschooling. But this is all a facade for a status hierarchy, right? So thinking people, the, the educated, all right? They're all on the left. And what constitutes a thinking person or the educated? Well, these are badges of honor that are only conferred upon people by those on the left. So people on the left, the liberals, have virtually a monopoly on the means of cultural reproduction, right? So their identity politics essentially passes under the radar screen. It's camouflaged in this order of you know, hard nose utilitarianism. We just want what's pragmatic and objectively good.
17: So I'm going to do the mantra now, and next thing, hit hard the deepest work of the day for four hours, a four-hour session that I'll probably film behind the desk. So just... Two things there struck me mad. One, finish the
5: mantra. Then think about your principles as a man. There's a lot to get done. That, that's a lot to deal with before
8: breakfast. I think I could say that I've never th- once in my entire life thought about my principles as a it man. It shows.
5: It shows. <laughs> I know that. That's why Lex is the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And, the...
8: <laughs> and I'm not. That's true. I only got up to the sort of tangerine-flavored belt. <laughs>
0: yeah. and- so, naturally, conservatives tend to be polite, law-abiding people, right? They tend to be placid. They tend to be compliant. They tend to be respectful towards others. They tend to be civil. They tend to be patriotic. They simply want to be left alone with their families, with their guns, or with their religion. So people on the right are kind of left almost speechless and stupefied by the never-ending onslaught of personal attacks, lies, and name-calling that the left rains down on them. So this is from the terrific work in progress by Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie Gordman. Right. so... What's the basis for these conservative claims of cultural oppression? Well, they have a conviction that liberalism's rational facade conceals what is essentially a campaign of psychological warfare, but it was essentially a campaign of gaslighting. And the whole purpose of this campaign is to undermine the confidence of those in traditional culture and supplant their culture with a liberal one. So you have this profound incongruity between the good natured innocuousness of ordinary conservatives and the absolutely venomous vitriol that liberals subject them to. You're actually talking about, <laughs>
5: this, like, flavor. This, this, is <laughs> the, this was the kids'
8: wealth that they had their
5: little cinnamon flavor added to them. And Matt, you said before breakfast.
0: Bear in mind, Lex doesn't eat breakfast.
5: <laughs> there is no oh, breakfast. That's already,
8: that's, oh, that's really fast. For 14, 14 hours. Yeah,
5: that, like, I just got to point out, I felt this with Jocko a little bit as well. And again, different life, people at different stages of life and whatnot. But, like, I get up most mornings at five. And then my primary occupation is, like, putting the washing on, tidying up crap, trying to get a little bit more sleep before and they, they get the kids <laughs> ready. And it's just like this complete different thing about self-improvement focus and mantras and all that. But maybe I'd be a better person if I did it. Maybe I'd be a different person. So maybe that's it. Maybe I resent them, Matt, because I have to think about breakfast for several people. <laughs>
8: <laughs> yeah, different strikes for different folks. But I think the techno-monk analogy is pretty much spot on. Like in a different century, a person with Lex's sensibilities would go to a monastery and would live a rigorous life as a monk might well be wearing a hair shirt and
17: dedicate themselves to four hours of deep work. I mean, their deep work would be on calligraphy rather than coding, but these are just details. I so I did the mantra, then I drank about a liter of water, went to the bathroom, made a coffee, now ready to hit the day hard with a four-hour session of deep work, focused on a single thing, no interruptions. If interesting ideas come to my head, to try to trick me into pulling on the thread of that idea i gently set it aside write it down in a google doc to address later so i bring my mind gently back to the focus of uh, the task these ideas keep coming but you really want to focus on the task so the only interruptions that are allowed is water coffee bathroom and i try to minimize those usually I try to be just once in that four hour session
5: yeah true and so there's another you know we talked about lexus sincerity my and father he does this thing sometimes to i'll to just start there's three clips and they're thematically linked let's see if we can pick up the theme
17: i'm currently listening to the rise and fall of the third reich Recommend it highly. Great book. Rough, but important for our times. If you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. The Nazis, Matt. Mm. What shits. Mm. Now, Chris, I've read The Rise of the, World, the Third Reich. I think Beaver. I read it twice.
8: And do you know what age I first read it at? 10. And it was there on my parents' bookshelf, right next to The Joy of Sex. <laughs>
5: and also a good book. Also a good book. <laughs> also a good book.
8: Exactly. And so... Ma, are you
5: book shaming Lex? Are you book shaming Lex because he's reading no. about the
8: Nazis as a late 30s? I'm sure he got that out of the way. 10 years old. No, I'm just pointing out these were two formative influences on me. For good or bad, who could say?
5: Yeah, that's all. So... <sighs> It's there's just something you know, you could regard it as performative when somebody is telling you, like, those Nazis, my god, and history doomed to repeat it if we don't learn about it, right? But the thing is, again, I think it's earnest I think it's Lex genuinely thinks about the Nazis, he's reading about them, and he wants to say, what, weren't they terrible? <laughs>
17: weren't they really bad? Yeah, just, isn't that amazing how terrible people can be? I love it, it's really quick 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, depending on the day, and the one hour of the running. Feel pretty good, not so good about 1936, 1937, uh, Nazi Germany, as the audiobook is covering, but uh, um. Yeah, really makes me think about the nature of evil. It puts everything into puts everything else into context.
0: <laughs> so, is he saying that Hitler was a bad man? Nation
11: of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan has accused the National Park System of racism, claiming the agency deliberately undercounted the number of participants at his Million Man March. A spokesman for the Park Service denies the charge, saying. Quote, our estimate is based on state-of-the-art aerial photography. We stand by our number. Heil Hitler. (laughs) In the course of his summation, Cochran also brought up Detective Mark Furman, calling him a, quote, genocidal racist and comparing him to Adolf Hitler. Furman later responded, after all the things he said about me during this trial, it's a little late to start sucking up now. (laughs) Following the passage of a new city ordinance, strippers are now forbidden to give lap dances in the city of Houston, Texas. Or as I refer to it, Nazi Germany.
6: It's
11: ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. I don't care what anybody says, Hitler was a bad man. <laughs> No one disagrees with that. Of course not. What's the matter with Larry? Doesn't he know that? You know, with Hitler, the more I learn about that guy, the more I don't care for him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't... Yeah. And nothing, there's nothing redeeming about the guy. I tell the guys, I go, how on earth could these Germans, like, uh, follow this l- l- lunatic, you know?
0: Man, if only Godwood had seen this, it could have saved him so much trouble.
11: And they're like, oh, he was an incredible public speaker. You know, he could, oh, he could uh, hypnotize you with his public speaking. And then I see him, he's like, (laughs) I go, what? That's not my idea of a silver-tongued devil, you know? God damn! I wish I had a time machine oh, to see that action. So yeah, no, to take back my question.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say to murder Hitler.
13: <laughs> no, I no,
11: would no. not. You know, people always fucking want to murder Hitler with their time machine, right? <laughs> but then I feel if I got back there, I'd be afraid of falling under the spell of his fucking beautiful eyes. It's true. You want you and to be and locked
2: in the gaze. Yeah, and then I
11: join the fucking party. That's knowing me. thing.
2: He gives you his full attention. You're like, whoa, right. wait a minute. Maybe there's no, something to mean- this guy. <laughs>
14: No, but before you ask another serious
11: Believe it or question,
6: not, they're,
13: they're telling
14: up. us to wrap
4: it up I don't exactly <laughs> okay, I don't know why to. you Ramp got I don't it. want to. <laughs> This is fun for everyone it's For the record, yeah, I, 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 would, I would have killed Hitler So thanks, gentlemen! Can I just clarify? <laughs>
2: if, if I did go back in time to kill Hitler, I would do it
0: Yeah, yeah
2: I wouldn't get Let's lost see, in his eyes and door then bam yeah. Yeah. yeah Just so well, I don't get like hit from all the like defamation leaves He would end it
1: yeah
11: Listen, man, okay, I'm sorry killing. about... to bri- wrap it up. I'm sorry it's about over. bringing up Hitler.
2: You really <laughs> brought this a real live problem. show to a, a, a new <laughs> This world. is the first one, right? This is your first interview? Yeah, yeah, this is the first
4: time. Oh, man. A in if you can bring Hitler come. into
2: all of them, they're going to ask you back for sure, which is I know what you want.
4: That's what we're all hoping <laughs> for.
11: There is one country that worries me, though. Not Iraq, not Iran, not North Korea. The only country that really worries me is uh, the country of Germany. I don't know if you guys are history buffs or not, but uh, (laughs) in the early uh, part of the previous century, Germany decided to go to war. And uh, who did they go to war with? The world! (laughs) That had never been tried before. And uh, so you figure that would take about five seconds for the world to win, but uh, no, it was actually close. <laughs> then about then about 30 years pass, and uh, Germany decides again to go to war, and again it chooses as its enemy the world. <laughs> And this time they have that guy scrankly, crankly, that guy and I'm not even gonna dignify him by saying his name, but I think mean, you know what I'm talking.
6: <laughs>
11: <laughs> but you'd think at that point the world will go, listen, Germany, here's the deal, you don't gotta be a country no more on account of you keep attacking the world. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think, you're Mars or something? (laughs) Hitler had a dog. Now you think of that. I'm no fan of Hitler. I never liked him. I didn't like him before. It was cool not to like him.
0: Okay, so there's a uh, terrific series on Amazon that I like to watch last thing of the day to kind of clean my mind (laughs) and it's called Fresh Meat this is season 4 episode 3 the uh, posh guy's on a job interview
12: cheese sandwiches I'm sorry and a little flask of
0: so he's here at a job interview asking what what he would uh, bring if he he were hired first of all
12: let me say how impressed we are with your CV and from what your brother's told me I think you're exactly the kind of chap we're looking for here at Froome and Harrington just going to run you through a couple of simple questions. I'm sure it's nothing you can't handle. What do you feel you'd bring to the role of
6: wealth manager's assistant?
12: Hmm. I'd probably bring. cheese sandwiches. I'm sorry? And a little flask of tea. You know one of those ones with the little. detachable cup on top? I meant qualities you'd bring that make you suitable for the role. Okay. First up, I've got a great sense of humor. No? Um, sure, I can see you're looking at me thinking, Jonathan, wouldn't it, for example, be better to mention something like maths at this point? But actually, I'd be up for any kind of evil shit you want me to undertake. Uh, Gambling with people's pensions, lying about investments, hiding Nazi gold. Sign me up. I just want to get my Christmas bonus. And I will do literally anything to get it. So, yeah, I guess you could put that down as a quality. I don't know what you'd call that. Grasping. Greedy. Ruthless. Amoral.
6: Yes, Jonathan, that's not quite what I meant.
12: Look, I don't care about the old people or the poor people, any kind of people, except our people. And that is what makes me right for this job.
0: I don't care about any people. I don't care about the old people. I don't care about the handicapped people. All I care about is our people. What's to live by. Bye-bye.